Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Thinking Theologically podcast, the show where we teach you how and why you should think uh, theologically. I'm one of your hosts, Jack Dodge, and joined by the resident theologian in training, Spencer Shaw. Spencer, how are you doing? Good. It's I'm kind of sick of uh, bad weather. I'm sure you are. Yeah, too. we've had multiple. But, there may be nothing, but if there is something, it's going to be really bad. That's that's the language that was used by the, all the weathermen. You know, I was used to that when I was living in Oklahoma. Uh, I'm I'm kind of sick of four or five weeks in a row of that here in Texas. Yeah, I, I yeah. Was, that's not normal. We get some, but not not like it's that. not supposed to be as frequent as it is in Oklahoma. It's not supposed to be an every week kind of a deal, but it's been. Every week, it's come through Oklahoma and then down through East Texas. I'll, I'll tell you what's been like the worst part of all of this is we've been like teased with severe weather, but nothing has showed up, which I'm grateful for. But at the same time, there's been like 30 mile per hour winds every day for the last week and a half. And as somebody who likes to play disc golf, it's been, I'm so ready to get out of my house <laughs> to go do something. My wife's ready for me to not putt inside my house. Like it's it's one thing to have cuz I know that you're a, you know, normal golfer. It's one thing to have like a a little putting green in like a little rolling which, out thing or a cup which even, I do by the way. I figured. Uh why uh, not? In why the not? living room. Yeah, see like uh, you, putt. you just roll it up, move it out of the way. I have a I have a movable basket, like regulation size, <laughs> that I set up in one room, and I go stand at the hallway and putt through the hallway to this basket because it's too windy to go outside. I haven't broken any windows yet. Anyway, <laughs> I cannot wait for the day when creation will be perfect and we don't have to worry about this stuff. See. We got back around to it. I got us. Well, here in East Texas, it's Basically this weekend's going to be very close to that. Close. I think to it's about the same here too. It's it's starting to get perfect. really hot now, though. So I'm going to be out on the golf course come Saturday morning. There you go. Hopefully, I'll be joining you in spirit on the uh, on the disc golf course Saturday. We'll see. Uh, welcome back, everybody who's joining. Uh, hopefully, we did not lose you with our talk of golf and weather um this is the oh i don't know third part of this series i think uh on new creation third of many in fact we this episode is a kind of a split one as well uh, at least in our notation so we've got tons of these episodes coming up uh the good news is that we have tons of information on this and number two other people have talked about this quite a bit if you like us on Facebook, uh, you'll see us share posts from other people uh, showing you their takes and how they've approached this and what their thoughts are on all of this as well. So if you have not already, Thinking Theologically on Facebook, uh, you'll find all of the stuff that we're doing here uh, as well as stuff that others are doing that uh, follows the same vein of thinking, at least topically uh, discussing these subjects, and uh, you'll be notified as soon as we post something new, which is 
uh, at least once a week. We've got tons of stuff that's coming up, tons of stuff that's in the works. We're very excited about it. Uh, and I want to encourage you not just to, to go check over thinkingtheologically.org, uh, but also to email us at strongchurchministries at gmail.com or get a hold of either of us on Facebook uh, and, of course, uh, get to Spencer on Twitter there for any comments, questions, maybe suggestions for uh, things that you want to hear, uh, and, of course, criticisms, all that is fine. Um, but if you're going to criticize particularly this view, please understand we've got like 12 more episodes left. So that's fine. <laughs> but uh, uh, just hear us out on all of this. Last week we Give t- us a chance before... Yeah. Give us a chance. Throw us out. You can't. uh, We we don't believe. uh, We're not subscribing to uh, somebody's subscribing or ascribing. I don't know. We're we're not following some ascribing. Thank you. Subscribing is uh, I, uh, what you do, <laughs> you do to YouTube. I think I think it could work. Or receive something in the mail every month or something like that. I think the word Netflix. could work in the in the parameters of the definition, the way I'm using it, but I don't think it's right anyway. Uh, I think ascribing is better. Okay. Uh, we're, we're not trying to uphold some, oh, this is what you know, this group believes over here or whatever. If they do, that's great, because what we're trying to do is walk through the text uh, to determine how all of this stuff shakes out. That is That is our intention. Okay, we're not leaning on anything other than uh, going to the story, looking through the story, trying to figure out how these words are used, how we see these phrases come up, and and patterns and themes that we see through all this. Uh, with all that being said, last week we looked at the new creation in the Old Testament, mostly focusing in on Isaiah. Uh, before that, we kind of began this series, and we looked at uh, just a very quick summary of the theme from uh, Genesis through to Revelation. Uh, And now we're working our way specifically through all of that. Uh, This week, stopping and thinking about the synoptic gospels uh, and new creation there, we'll leave John off on its own and come back to John and his writings later uh, to look at those as a whole. Uh, But we wanted to look at the synoptic gospels, and then the reason why this is getting broken up is uh, we will talk about Jesus a little bit today, uh, but in our next episode, we're going to focus in heavily on Jesus and his language and mission and all of this as it relates to the new creation. So this is a bit of an intro to that one, but this is going to have a lot of good information for you here uh, when it comes to new creation uh, and how we see it in the New Testament. Uh, so with all that being said, uh, Spencer, let's let's introduce this, this idea. You have some uh, thoughts here that you want to uh, get out before we actually get into uh, the New Testament specifically and the Synoptic Gospels here specifically. Uh, what do you want to say about a uh, new creation or the new heavens uh, in the New Testament to start? So this is kind of a, I, I just kind of want to remind us a little bit of what we talked about last week or not, uh, two weeks ago in the last episode uh, when we were talking about New creation in the Old Testament, uh, specifically, we used kind of uh, we use Isaiah sixty five and sixty six as kind of our case study of what the entirety of the Old Testament really has to say, the kind of language it uses to talk about heaven, to talk about new creation. And as we now move into the New Testament, what we're going to see is that the New Testament has a much more developed 
concept of subjects such as the afterlife, heaven, uh, hell, eternity, things of that nature than the Old Testament does. If you remember, when we were talking about the Old Testament, we talked about how the Old Testament doesn't have much of a concept of afterlife, of eternity, of heaven and hell. Uh, In the Old Testament, really, all you have is you have this place called Sheol, which is the place of the dead. It's the place where all the dead go, the the good, the the bad, the, the in-between. Everybody goes to Sheol. And so you have some concept that there, there's somewhere you go when you die. So there's, there's something after death, but that's really it. it. It's very gray. It's very vague. And so we talked about how the idea of reward and punishment for following God, for not following God in the Old Testament is always physical. It's very here and now. You follow God, you'll have a good crop. You don't follow God, you're not going to have a good crop. You follow, uh, If you follow God, you're going to win in battle. If you don't follow God, you're going to lose in battle with yeah. other nations. That, that's the Old Testament concept of reward and punishment and, and afterlife. Uh, but as we move to the New Testament, we're going to see more of a development of the idea of the afterlife we're going to see reward and punishment be pushed off, not just now, but also pushed off into eternity as well. That's important that it's a both. Uh, sometimes we think of, well, reward and punishment is always in eternity, and we push everything off, and we're not always right in doing that. The New Testament does talk about God blessing us here and now for following him. That's not a life is just going to be all roses and flowers all the time. It's not prosperity gospel stuff, but it also doesn't mean that God doesn't bless and do stuff now. Um, And so there's a balance there uh, when we move on to the New Testament. But uh, that development really happens in the intertestamental period, that period between the conclusion of the Old Testament, the beginning of the writing of the New Testament. We see within Judaism a development of the afterlife of heaven, of hell, of eternity. And then we see that presented to us when we get to the writings of the New Testament. And so because of that, the New Testament is going to have a much more detailed development, detailed statements about heaven than what we saw in the Old Testament but the interesting thing is, is the New Testament's going to continue to use the same language and the same imagery that's found in the Old Testament. So while while the New Testament's going to be much more developed, we're going to see reward and punishment in the afterlife. Uh, we're going to see a larger description of what is afterlife, what is heaven, what is hell going to be like, uh, how do you take part in these different areas, what is God doing, so on and so forth. All of that for the most part, is still going to be discussed using the same language and the same imagery that we saw in the Old Testament. It's going to use the language and imagery of Genesis 1 and 2, as we've already seen in our first episode when we started talking about new creation. We started, we talked about how we see that language throughout the Old and the New Testament. But it's also going to use that language that we saw in places such as Isaiah 65 and 66. And the reason, again, to remind you of kind of how we started the last episode, is because when we're talking about heaven, in reality what we're talking about is the conclusion to the story of God. That's what heaven is. 
It's the final act. It's the final scene of God's story and God's plan for his creation, going all the way back to Genesis 1 and 2. And because of that, as we talked about, the Old Testament can tell us a lot about heaven without having much understanding of afterlife and eternity, because the Old Testament can still talk about the conclusion to God's story. And the New Testament, while having much more understanding and able to apply in a more in-depth manner idea of heaven and hell, punishment, reward, afterlife, eternity, to our understanding of the conclusion of God's story, the New Testament can still do that by using the same imagery and the same language the Old Testament used to talk about the conclusion of God's story, but just add a little bit to it. And that's what we're going to see as we now start working our way through the New Testament's discussion of new creation in heaven. I think that uh, expansion idea before we define these uh, terms of heaven and earth, uh, that using the Old Testament language but expanding on those things uh, is a good example of what we're talking about when we say, uh, I I think we said in the beginning, where things begin within a garden, they go end within a garden in Revelation, uh, and what is the, the turning point of all of that? How do we go from... Uh, how, how do we start the turn back to complete the circle in all of this? And it's through Jesus. And that's what we're going to see here with all of this is uh, this Old Testament imagery, but Jesus is uh, a better lens through which to view these things, a better lens of understanding of us looking through him and seeing what he's doing and hearing what he is saying and going, oh, that that makes more sense. That Now with him, this is more of a, a complete idea for us something more fleshed out because it's coming through him. Just a good example of why we're, in terms of thinking theologically, why why it's important to uh, understand your lens uh, and how you're viewing these things, because it makes all the difference. Uh, okay, with that in mind, we're going to define our terms heaven and earth. Uh, these seem like rather straightforward words. Why do we need to define these terms uh, here, Spencer? Well, because for most people, uh, Christian, non-Christian, someone that you come across out on the street, the way we think about the terms heaven and earth aren't as influenced by scripture as they are other sources. Okay. Um, you, you could even throw, I think, hell in there that we tend to think about hell more based on Dante's Inferno yeah. than what scripture actually has to say about hell. And uh, again, uh, historical people, pop culture, those things tend to influence the way we think about these terms. And we bring a lot of that baggage with us when we go to scripture. And so we read the word heaven, where it's in the Old Testament, or Jesus says it, or Paul says it, or something. And we just assume, well, I know what that means. Without taking an adequate time to try to figure out, okay, what does Paul or what does Jesus mean when they use this word instead of just assuming I know what you, what they meant by it? Because when we just assume we know what it, what they mean by it, that can take us into a lot of very dangerous places. So I think it's important for us to back up and Try to understand the way that scripture uses these terms, heaven and earth, 
We probably should have done this in the last episode when we introduced the Old Testament, but we didn't. So here we are doing it as we introduce a new creation (laughs) in the New Testament. But that's also it's also important because the New Testament is going to expand upon the Old Testament understanding and meaning of these terms of, of heaven, of earth of the afterlife, as we just kind of talked about. The New Testament's going to use the same imagery, the same language, to talk about the conclusion of God's story, which means it's also going to expand upon the way the Old Testament uses the terms heaven and earth without changing their meaning. And that's important. It's an expansion. It's not a change. And that's an important principle, not just for these terms, but really when we think about how the New Testament uses the Old Testament as a whole. Maybe the best way for us to think about that is when Jesus says that he didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. It's not a let's get rid of it, but let's expand it. Let's bring it to the point that God always intended for us to get when he gave us the law, when he gave us the Old Testament. And so the New Testament's going to do that with the Old Testament as a whole. And it's also important to remember that the writers of the New Testament aren't just Christians, because they are, they're Christ followers. Uh, They're not just people living in the Greco-Roman world and influenced by the Greco-Roman world, which they are, but they're also Jews, which means that they're influenced by the Old Testament particularly Paul, very heavily influenced by the Old Testament. Jesus was a Jew, heavily influenced by Judaism and by the Old Testament. So when they're using these words, they're not just pulling this stuff out of thin air, but they're building upon their influence. They're building upon their belief and their life as Jews in the first century. So it's important to understand, okay, how is the Old Testament using these words? So we understand, okay, the New Testament authors are using them in the same way. They're just expanding our understanding of these things, but not defining them in a completely new way. So with that in mind, we'll define these terms. We'll start with the word heaven. And the first meaning of the word heaven in Scripture is simply everything that's up there. If you look up, that's heaven, everything up there. So the sky, the stars, space, other planets, all of that up there is heaven. Um, And we see that meaning, at least partly, In Genesis 1 and verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I think part of that is the idea that God created everything in existence, everything down here and everything up there, the heavens, including the sky and space, the stars, uh, the planets, all that. God created everything. And so the first meaning of heaven is everything up there. And I think we can understand that because we kind of use heaven in, in the same way a little bit. If you asked a child to point to heaven, where would they point? Up, right? Yeah, it's yeah. up up there somewhere. And so we kind of understand that meaning of heaven. Uh, but the definition of heaven is everything up there is also connected 
to a second meaning of the word heaven in Scripture, and that is the place where God is. And the reason that they're connected is because ancient people believed God to be up there somewhere. God is up. Again, I think we understand that. If you asked a child to point to God, where are they going to point? Up. Right? When, and if you said point to hell, where's, where's someone going to point? Down. Right? That We just think of hell, Satan, down, God, heaven, good, up. It's up there somewhere. Um, and that's not far removed from the way ancient people, particularly uh, the people during the time of the Old Testament, would have thought about God. Yeah. God is up there somewhere. And we see that all throughout the the Old Testament, that understanding of God being in heaven, which is up there somewhere. Uh, we see it, for example, in the Tower of Babel. Uh, what are they trying to do? They're trying to build a tower to get up to God because God is up there somewhere. Uh, temples in all societies during the time of the Old Testament were built on mountains because if God's up there somewhere, then the where you interact with God is on top of a mountain because it's the highest point. Yeah, It's closest to heaven. It's closest to where God is. And so mountaintops were understood to be kind of a place where heaven and earth overlapped, where where we are and where God is kind of overlapped a little bit, and you were able to interact with God. So even the people of Israel, you had the Temple Mount. Their temple was built on top of a mountain because God's up there. That understanding sits behind the imagery of Mount Zion that we see particularly in the Psalms. Mount Zion is used to refer to where God is or the activity of God, and a lot of the times, even the conclusion to God's story. And the imagery of Mount Zion is that same thing. God's up there somewhere. He's on top of a mountain. Um, that's why Moses goes up Mount Sinai to interact with God and receive the Ten Commandments, because you interacted with God. If you weren't a part of the nation of Israel, you interacted with the gods on top of a mountain, because God's up there somewhere. So you have heaven which is everything that's up there, and that includes where God is, because God is up there somewhere. He's up in the heavens. And that's in contrast to earth, which is the word that's just used to refer to everything down here. It's Earth is where people live. It's where you and I live. We can think about it, the, the solid ground that we stand on. That's earth. Heaven is up where God is. Earth is down here where we human beings are, uh, you could probably also add to that the sea or the deep is the word that's used in the Old Testament. That kind of would have been a third part of creation uh, because the deep, the sea goes even further down than the solid ground that we human beings live on. Yeah, We talked about this a little bit when we've talked about the creation in Genesis 1, the idea of water or the deep is chaos. Uh, it's it's unpredictable. Uh, it's scary. Uh, you've got sea monsters and stuff out there. That's the way ancient people would have thought about water and the deep. That's not that important for a discussion of, of heaven. The concept of uh, the, the deep in that way isn't really going to come up. Our understanding of heaven and earth is probably more important. But I just kind of wanted to add that in there because you see that particularly in the Old Testament. You have heaven up there where God is, earth, solid ground down here where human beings are, 
and then you would have the the, the deep, which is where the the chaos, evil, uh, things like that are associated with. Uh, you could also even add when you think about mountains reaching up to God, people. Uh, Ancient people would have believed that the closer that you are to the mountain, the closer you are to the protection of God or whatever God or gods you served. And so the further you moved away from the mountain, you kind of moved into darkness, uh, evil places where you weren't necessarily protected by the gods, which is why the captivity of the people of Israel is so significant in the Old Testament when they're taken away from the temple. Because to be taken away from the temple mount is to be taken away from the place where you interact with God and where you're under God's protection. Yeah. Um, and so that's not that important for what we're talking about, but just a little <laughs> side note that might be helpful for your Old Testament study to think about. It's much more significant than just moving from your homeland yeah. or being forced to work. Uh, there's a very religious and spiritual thing going on there because you're being moved away from the Temple Mount. Uh and so when you kind of take that all together and think about the way that Scripture uses these terms heaven and earth, uh, the word heaven then speaks not really of an actual location like your house or Walmart or something, not, not an actual location, but heaven is simply used, it's the place where God is as opposed to earth, the place where we are. And I think maybe the best place you see that or can understand that is the use of the term, the kingdom of heaven in Matthew's gospel, Jesus in Matthew's gospel and Matthew himself uses this term, the kingdom of heaven all over the place. It's kind of the catchphrase in the gospel of Matthew. And if you've ever taught the gospel of Matthew or heard it taught or read a book on it or something like that, as someone's probably said, or, or you've said that the kingdom of the term, the kingdom of heaven is synonymous with the kingdom of God. And I think that's a true statement because heaven simply means the place where God is. So to say the kingdom of heaven would be synonymous with saying the kingdom of God because the kingdom of heaven is saying the kingdom of the place where God is, yeah. the kingdom of God. And so that's the idea that's being given across there in Matthew's gospel by using the term heaven. It's being used to refer to the place where God is. And it's that kingdom. It's the kingdom of that place. It's the kingdom of God and God's rule and God's reign. Because heaven, where God is, is under God's full control, is the way God likes it, right? So the idea of the kingdom of heaven uh, coming to earth is the idea of God, God's place, God's rule, God's reign, God's control coming to earth. Uh, which again connects to the, Jesus using that kind of language. We'll talk about that more but we see the idea of heaven coming to earth, God's rule, God's reign coming down. Uh, but that's what heaven is speaking about, of the place where God is, to contrast that with earth, the place that we are. And one final thing to say about that, so when we understand those two definitions of heaven and earth, uh, then we also have to say that heaven, the place where God is, and earth, the place that we are, are not the same, but they do overlap. And so the idea that scripture presents us by using these two terms in that way, they're meant to kind of contrast each other. Heaven's where God is, earth is where we are, and they're not the same. But scripture does present them as overlapping. They're not completely different. 
So the idea that scripture gives us with these terms is that at the very beginning, they were the same. I think that's the secondary meaning to Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I think that that not only means that God created the earth as well as everything up there, but that the entire creation of God was also God creating a dwelling place for himself. That connects back in our first episode. We talked about how Genesis 1 is written in a way that reflects the construction of a temple. That is the construction of a dwelling place of God. God intended to dwell and to be present on earth, to dwell and to be present with human beings, with his creation. So originally, heaven, the place where God is, and earth, the place that we are, were one place. We were together with God. The problem, Genesis 3, sin comes in. As most of us probably know, one of the results of sin is we're separated from God. So they're no longer the same place. But they're not completely different places. They overlap. Um, And you see the overlap of heaven and earth, the overlap of the place where God is and the place where we are. Uh, For example, in the Old Testament, you see it in the temple, the dwelling place of God. And now for us as Christians, when we gather together to do things like to partake of the Lord's Supper, to to worship, we see and experience this overlap of heaven and earth. We even experience it within ourselves. Paul tells us that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We God literally dwells within us. It's not full and perfect, right? Why? Because we're still sinners. But we even see an overlap of heaven and earth there. We know that God does things in the world, and so when we pray for God to act in times of war or to help someone recover from a disease or something like that, that's us believing in an overlap of heaven and earth, that God is still doing things in our lives, God's still doing things in the world, but they're not the same because there's still sin, evil, and brokenness in the world. And so because of that, we can say heaven and earth aren't the same, but they do overlap, They were originally the same in the beginning, and so the idea of new creation is God's trying to take us back to the beginning and make heaven and earth one once again. Um, A couple of scriptures where I think you see this idea of the overlap of heaven and earth, the best is in, uh, one is in 2 Kings chapter 6, in 2 Kings chapter 6, particularly verses 15 uh, through 19. What we see is we see uh, the army of Aram coming against the people of Israel, and they see this great army. The people are afraid. Elisha prays to God that, uh, well, before Elisha prays, he says that those that are with us are much more than those that are against us. He asks God to open the people's eyes, and that's when they see all these chariots of fire and armies and horses of God that are surrounding them, right? That, that's an example of an overlap of, of heaven and earth. Right. You have God's army, God's people are here interacting, doing things in the world, but we can't say that earth is fully heaven because there's still sin and evil in the world. Another example would be, like Ephesians 6 and verse 12, where Paul says that our uh, enemy, our battle, our war is not against enemies of flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, and authorities in the heavenly places. 
the idea of an overlap of heaven and earth, or we could even say an overlap, if you wanted to, of the physical and the spiritual, that the battle that we're fighting uh, is with there's spiritual forces of evil that are interacting in the world, but so is God. That's why Paul says, put on the armor of God. You'll be protected from uh, these forces of evil that are impacting the world by the forces of good or the forces of God that are impacting the world. And so you kind of see that idea of an overlap of heaven and earth or an overlap of the physical and the spiritual, if you will, there in Ephesians chapter six. Uh, so th- that's the way scripture as a whole is going to use these terms. It's the way the Old Testament does. It's the way the New Testament authors are going to use these terms. They're just once again going to expand upon them a little bit. Yeah, there's, uh, well, there's a lot we could add to this. Um uh, things like uh, what we talked about uh, of the Tower of Babel and Temple Mounts and things like that. Um, Tower of Babel, probably a like a ziggurat kind of structure, which is kind of pyramid-ish. Uh, a lot of cultures built those things uh, in ancient times. And then, of course, the pyramids themselves, um, you buried people in those. And the idea was that the pharaoh, who was the uh, god king on earth <laughs> uh, could ascend into the heavens by going up the pyramid after death and all this. Like it's a, it a very common belief uh, that those two things merged, heaven and earth merged in various places that they overlapped uh, in some spots, not just in Israel. It's just common. That was how that worked. And so a lot of the language that's used is going to make a lot more sense to them than it does to us uh, if we're not paying attention to uh how those phrases are actually used. Uh, And then just one last thing. Uh, I would encourage you in Ephesians, because we don't have time for it today, but go look at the phrase heavenly in the heavenly places uh, or heavenlies uh, in Ephesians. I believe it's five times shows up twice in chapter one. uh, And then the last one is there in chapter six. So it's all throughout Ephesians, that phrase, and just look and see what's happening there, what we're told by Paul is going on or has taken place in the heavenlies. It's it's interesting, uh, and it helps us to see a little bit more of this overlap uh, of heaven and earth and how they understood those words to be uh, and how they used them uh, versus maybe how we think and use those terms. Okay, one last thing here before we wrap up. What is our our part one? We said we'd talk about Jesus a little bit, uh, so we are. Uh, We're going to talk about Jesus and heaven here in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, Spencer, where do you want to take us through here, uh, summary-wise, as far as Jesus and the Synoptics? Yeah, so real quick, I'll just kind of explain a little bit so people know kind of where we're, we're going. As we move into the New Testament, it makes sense to start with Jesus because... Everything in the New Testament is about He's Jesus. You don't, yeah. you don't understand anything else without first starting with Jesus. Yep. And we're starting with Jesus in the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, because uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are uh, written very similarly, use the same kinds of stories, the same kinds of sources. You can go back. We've done uh, some podcasts on th- the way that the uh, Gospels were composed, and we talked a lot about how all of that works uh, so I would encourage you, if you haven't, to go back and listen to those. It'll kind of make sense of of what we're doing here with the synoptics. And then we're actually saving John for the very end. 
because John is doing something very different than the synoptics. And John also has other writings in the New Testament. And so we're going to kind of bring those all together as we close out our discussion, look at John's gospel and Revelation and the kind of picture between the two of those. Yeah, because his language is consistent between all of his his books. Mm -hmm. That's why we're saving him for that. So with the synoptics, uh, something that maybe you've noticed reading through Matthew, Mark, and Luke, or maybe you haven't because it's pretty subtle, but if you read through the synoptic gospels, you will find that Jesus does not spend very much time talking about heaven, at least not in the way that we think about heaven or perhaps in the way that we would want Jesus to talk about heaven. A Jesus' discussion about heaven isn't very much, well, this is what heaven is going to be it's or where it's going to be or what exactly it's it's going to look like. Jesus doesn't talk about that a whole lot, at least not explicitly. I would argue that he does, but we have to understand a little bit more about the ministry of Jesus to pick up on Jesus talking about heaven in that way, because it's not explicit. In other words, Jesus doesn't get up and say, uh, heaven is going to look like this. He may say something like, the kingdom of heaven is like, and then tell a parable. That's far yeah. from explicit and to the point right. about what heaven's going to be like. It, 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 that forces us to do a little bit of work to get to the final result that Jesus wants us to get to. And so that, that's what I mean about not explicitly, maybe not like we would want him to, but that I would argue he does. But to be able to understand that language that Jesus uses, we have to understand a little bit more about Jesus. And so when you do read through the Gospels, what, what you'll notice is that Jesus' discussion of heaven of eternity, of the afterlife, is much more language of like reward and punishment. Uh, We see, with Jesus, you actually see a lot more reward uh, type things, Uh, but reward and punishment, uh, you see Jesus use that kind of language. You see Jesus using language of the coming of the Son of Man, and you see Jesus using a lot of language about the coming of the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of of God. That's the kind of language that Jesus uses to talk about heaven, afterlife, eternity, uh, but he without really using those terms a lot. Jesus doesn't really say heaven or eternity. He says kingdom. He says the coming of the son of man. He talks about reward and punishment. And the reason for this is because Jesus has what's called an apocalyptic worldview. This is the lens through which Jesus views the world and views his mission in the world, I would extend that to that's really the way all of the New Testament writers view the world. Particularly, that's the way Paul views the world. We'll save that for when we talk about Paul. We'll come back to this idea of an apocalyptic worldview. But this worldview is a view that in the world, there's a battle going on. It's a battle between the forces of good and evil. It's a battle between, in other words, the forces of God and the forces of Satan. Again, think about Ephesians 6. Paul says her battle isn't against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, and authorities. So you have these forces of evil. So what does Paul say do? Well, you're fighting with the forces of God, so put on the armor of God. That idea. 
that's an apocalyptic worldview, that there's this battle between good and evil, between God and Satan going on in the world. And so Jesus, as the leader of the kingdom of God, the king of the kingdom of God, the leader of the forces or the army of God, uh, Jesus has come into the world to battle these forces of evil, to battle these forces of Satan. And Jesus and the kingdom of God is ultimately going to win the battle at the cross and through the resurrection. Make sure you hold those tightly together because one doesn't win the battle, them together wins the battle, wins the war against the forces of evil. And so because Jesus and the kingdom of God have won the battle, they've won the war with the forces of evil at the cross and through the resurrection, the world now waits for the complete victory, the complete conclusion of this war, and for the fullness of the kingdom of God when Jesus returns and the kingdom is fully realized. That's the meaning of an apocalyptic worldview, and that's how Jesus views himself and how Jesus views the world. There's this battle going on. Jesus has come to battle the forces of evil, and he's going to defeat them at the cross and through the resurrection. And once he does that, we can now await the full victory when Jesus returns and ushers in the fullness of the kingdom of God. And it's that background, and I think really only that background, that's going to help us make sense of really all the teachings of Jesus. But for the point of this series, it's going to help us understand the language that Jesus uses to talk about heaven. That's why Jesus talks about the coming of the Son of Man and the coming of the kingdom and things like that, not the term heaven and afterlife and eternity, uh, because it's connected to this apocalyptic worldview. It's connected to this battle between the forces of good and evil that are going on and how this battle is won and when the battle and the war is going to be completely over, that's going to be heaven. So that's another way to think of heaven, particularly in the ministry of Jesus. It's the conclusion of the war between good and evil that Jesus has won at the cross and through the resurrection. And that's exactly where we're going to pick up with our next episode here in hopefully a couple of weeks, barring any actual bad weather. Uh, we will see uh, if anything comes uh, from all of those uh, warnings of, <laughs> of weather. Uh, if you have any thoughts on this, please comment on uh, the various posts that we share. Uh, make sure that you go like Thinking Theologically on Facebook. Make sure you check out thinkingtheologically.org uh, for this stuff, as well as some other written things. Uh, and you know, be sure that you're liking us on Facebook to make sure you get notified of when that stuff goes up. Uh, as always, you can get a hold of either of us on Facebook or uh, strongchurchministries at gmail.com. Email us there uh, and Spencer on Twitter if you have a very short and concise criticism uh, that you want to send his way because uh, you only get so many characters. So That's why I like Twitter. If you're going to be insulting, be smart about it. I don't know. <laughs> I'm off Twitter for that reason. Maybe I'll come back someday, uh, but it's not this day uh, that I will return. Uh, at any rate, we will see you next time for Jesus in, in his new creation, language, and mission. Bye.